How are you all doing this morning? A few of us are doing good. Okay, you're all right there. Good. My name's Sammy Ewan. I'm, I'm one of the leaders here down at Destiny Church in Leith. As you're probably aware, I'm not Peter Anderson this morning. Um, Pete is away up uh, north in Aberdeen. Um, so he's asked if I uh, would come and share with you guys this morning. For those that um, maybe are visiting or maybe you've not been around um, for the last couple of weeks, we've been going through a series on prayer. Okay, I've been going through a month of prayer. Anyone not sure what we've, what we've been doing? But over the last few weeks, we've been going through a series looking at prayer as a church. Um, we've been taking time out to pray. I don't know if anyone's been at the early morning prayer meetings. Um, Thursday here at uh, seven, 7 o'clock in Leith, you're very welcome to come. And um, there's still two more going on. Um, and also 7 o'clock on Fridays uh, over at Gorgie. So we're going to follow on this morning on our series of prayer. Okay? But just as we start, I've got a question for you. Okay? This is to waken you up and get you thinking. My question this morning is this. If I asked you, how much do you pray? What would you answer? I'm not picking anyone this morning, don't worry. But if I asked you, how much do you pray? What would you answer? Maybe your answer would be this. Could be better. Or yeah, it needs a little bit of work. I don't know about you, but many of us come to prayer with this kind of attitude, don't we? An attitude of guilt or I should be better. But today, my heart, my desire, as I've been praying about this morning, my desire is that today is not another preach, another sermon to get you guilty about prayer. It'll make you more frustrated or despaired. If there's one thing that I want to do today, it's to convince you how amazing prayer is. To convince you that prayer was never meant to be a religious activity. My aim today is to tell you how great God is, how amazing it is to pray, and therefore encourage you to pray more frequently, freely, and naturally. Does that excite you? A few of us, good. Why don't we do that then? Let's pray um, as we start on this journey. God, thank you that you are a good God. God, thank you that you love us, that you are slow to anger, but abounding in love. God, I thank you that you remember our sin no more. And God, it is your desire for you to be in relationship with us, for us to be in relationship with you. And God, as we come to look at this very simple or sometimes overcomplicated topic of prayer, it's our desire that you would simplify it for us. And God, it's our desire that you would excite us about prayer this morning. So God, open our hearts as we come to look at your word. 
open our minds and challenge us in a new way. And all God's people said, Amen. My title for this morning is The Pattern Prayer. Okay, The Pattern Prayer. And we're going to be focusing on specifically the Lord's Prayer. It's found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. If you have a Bible, you can look at there, but it will um, come on the screen behind me, or we hope. Um, this story, not only found in Matthew, it's also found in Luke's Gospel. And if you look at Luke's Gospel, it does a, a slightly different perspective of the story. And at the very start, just before Jesus goes into the Lord's Prayer, the disciples come to Jesus and they ask him this question. They say, Lord, teach us to pray. I don't know about you, but if I wanted to know how to pray, who would be the best person to ask? Sunday school answer? God, yes, Jesus. Don't you think? I mean, Jesus was God. He was perfect. He had a perfect relationship with God, and he was a man of prayer. Jesus wants to teach us to pray. Isn't that exciting? Now, it's funny when you look at this story as well. Let me just put it into context. The disciples would have been praying all of their life. Okay, they were observant Jews, and they were expected to pray three times a day, okay, or more than three times a day, but attending three prayer services, morning, afternoon, and evening, and even more on the Sabbath and Jewish holidays. These guys, the disciples, Jews, they knew how to pray, right? And yet there was something different about the way Jesus prayed. Now this morning I was going to play uh, a clip. A little girl was going to help me out by reading the Lord's Prayer, but I've been told that it's not working. So we're going to do something slightly different this morning, okay? I don't know about you, but put your hands up if you've heard, first of all, the Lord's Prayer before. Look at that. Put your hands up if, I'll not look at you, if you know it off by heart. Okay, a few of us. My experience of the Lord's Prayer is growing up in school in Northern Ireland, very religious country, and at the end of assembly, we would have a short Bible verse always followed by the Lord's Prayer. Okay? So I thought, just to take me back to my school days today, we should read it together. So it's going to come up on the screen behind me, I hope. And if not, for those that know it off by heart, you can say it anyway. So it goes like this. Let's read it together. You ready? This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Keep going. Given our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And some of us might know the little bit at the end that often we read, Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well done. The Lord's Prayer is often referred to as the Paternoster, okay? It just means the Our Father. 
And it's often prayed as a prayer just like that in traditional churches. Now, there's not anything wrong with that, but I believe that was Jesus, or it was never Jesus' intention. So I'm just going to start by saying, first of all, that Jesus never intended this prayer to be vainly repeated. It was never intended to be some kind of magical incantation or incantation to get God's attention. It wasn't a paragraph to be recited. In fact, the last few weeks we've been looking at Jesus' warning against those things, against using repetitious phrases. So here Jesus is not giving it to us as a prayer to be recited, but he's giving it us as principles for prayer, if you like, themes to focus on. He gives us a variety of elements that should be included when we pray. And so the Lord's Prayer, the Paternoster, Our Father, whatever you know it as, is an excellent model. So we pick it up in verse 9. It says this, This, then, is how you should pray. The very fact that Jesus says, this then is how you pray, means that in the verses before, he's already said, don't do it like that. If you want to know how to pray, Jesus says in the verses before this, don't look at religious people. You want to know how to pray today? Don't look at religious people. You see, religious prayer is for show. It's not interested in connecting with God. Religious prayer uses lots of religious words. We talked about that last week. And they heap up word after word, just repeating things over and over again like a mantra. Jesus says, if you want to know how to pray, ignore them. So if that's religious prayer, what does authentic prayer look like? I'm going to, uh, just to help you remember my talk this morning, we're going to go through the, the Lord's Prayer looking at the six Ps, okay? So everything I'm going to talk about, or each section, I'm going to try and entitle it with a letter P or a word beginning with P so that you can remember that, Okay? So the first thing in verse 9 says, This then is how you should pray, Our Father who is in heaven. So the first thing we're going to look at is God's paternity. It just means fatherhood. Say paternity with me. You learned a new word. Well done. Jesus says, You want to know how to pray? Don't look at religious people. And he goes on later and says, If you want to know how to pray, Look at how a child interacts with a loving father. Don't look at religious people, but look at how a child interacts with a loving dad. You see, by Jesus starting this way, sometimes you, you, you read this prayer, and sometimes you miss things. It's not put into context. Let me try and give it justice. Jesus starting this way he was blowing the disciples' perception of prayer out of the water. Okay, this word for father, if you look at it in the Greek, patre, if you look at it 
Jesus probably would have done it in Aramaic, which literally means Abba, Father. And it was the word used by Jewish children for their earthly fathers. The English equivalent, the best way that I can literally translate it, means Daddy. Daddy. So rather than starting our Father, literally it is Dad. Jesus himself used uses this title Father in all his recorded prayers, every single one, except the one when he's on the cross. You see, in the Old Testament, faithful Jews saw God as the Father of Israel, okay? the nation that he elected as his special chosen people. And many of them saw God even in an intimate way as their spiritual Father. But because they turned their backs on gods, embraced false gods around them. Most Jews of Jesus' time had lost the true sense of God's fatherhood and viewed him as only a remote deity. They were religious, yes, but they had forgotten about the relationship. Jesus therefore reminds them. He changes their way of thinking, flips it upside down and says, start with Abba. Dad. Let me say this very crucial point. How you view God will shape your entire prayer life. Andrew Murray says it much better than me. Prayer depends chiefly, almost entirely, on who we think we are praying to. How you view God will shape your entire prayer life. Do you know that God has revealed himself as Father, even greater than that, as loving Father? I I don't know what that word means to you this morning. Certainly in this day and age, most of us are growing up in a home where Father is a person to be feared a person that rejects, a person who demeans and devalues. I know there's people here today um, in the Leith congregation, when you hear that word father, it's very difficult for you to think of a loving dad because your dad was not a good dad. Maybe your dad physically abused you or verbally abused you. That's horrendous. But I want to encourage you that God is not like that. He is our perfect, loving Father. I want you to get that this morning because prayer is about relationship with God as a Father. And if you haven't got that foundation, that's where we're starting this morning, if you haven't got that foundation, then it will just become this legalistic formula. See, the heart of the Christian message is knowing God as father, daddy. No matter what issue you've had with your father, God is the perfect father. Let me try and illustrate this a little bit better. Sometimes a story can just illustrate it a little bit better. So I want to share with you one of my favorite stories. It's about a girl um, in America who doesn't have a great relationship with her mom and dad. Her mom and dad love her. They're good parents. 
But as a teenager, she chooses to run away from home. She moves to the city, and life is great. But over a period of time, she gets into trouble, and she finds herself in a sticky situation. And she gets to a place of rock bottom where she's hooked on drugs, she's involved in prostitution, and she starts to think, man, what am I doing? What have I done? I'm just going to pick up the story just at the end and read it to you. So I hope you're all sitting comfortably. One night as she lies awake listening for footsteps, all of a sudden everything about her life looks different. She no longer feels like a woman of the world. She feels like a little girl lost in a cold and frightening city. She begins to whimper. Her pockets are empty and she's hungry. She needs a fix. She pulls her legs tight underneath her and shivers under the newspaper she's piled atop her coat. God, why did I leave? She says to herself and pain stabs at her heart. My dog back home eats better than I do now. She's sobbing and she knows in a flash that more than anything else in the world she wants to go home. Three straight phone calls, three straight connections with the answering machine. She hangs up without leaving a message the first two times. But the third time she says, Dad, Mom, it's me. I was wondering about, about maybe coming home. I'm catching a bus up your way, and it'll get there about midnight tomorrow. If you're not there, well, I guess I'll just stay on the bus until it hits Canada. It takes about seven hours for a bus to make all the stops between the city she's been at to her hometown. And during that time, she realizes the flaws in her plan. What if her parents are out of town and miss the message? Shouldn't she have waited another day or so until she could talk to them? And even if they are home, they probably wrote her off as dead long ago. She should have given them some time to overcome the shock. Her thoughts bounce back and forth between these worries and the speech she is preparing for her father. She says the words over and over, her throat tightening even as she rehearses them. She hasn't apologized to anyone in years. When the bus finally rolls into the station, its air breaks hissing in protest. She checks herself in a compact mirror, smooths her hair, and licks the lipstick off her teeth. She walks into the terminal, not knowing what to expect. Not one of the thousand scenes that have played out in her mind prepare her for what she sees. There in the concrete walls and plastic chairs, bus terminal, stands a group of 40 brothers and sisters and great aunts and uncles and cousins and a grandmother and a great-grandmother. They're all wearing goofy party hats and blowing noisemakers. And taped across the entire wall of the terminal is a computer-generated banner that reads, Welcome home. Out of the crowd of well-wishers breaks her dad. She stares out through the tears, quivering in her eyes like hot mercury, and begins the memorized speech. Dad, I'm sorry. I, I, I know he interrupts her. Hush, child. We've got no time for that. You'll be late for the party. A banquet's waiting for you at home. Amazing. Maybe you've had a rubbish dad, as I've said before. Maybe you've 
never known God as your father. But just like the father in this story, God loves you. God loves you and wants to welcome you home. Do you know that you're never, never too far from God's love? There is nothing you can do to make him love you less. Maybe you've come here today to church with a friend. Maybe this is your first time. Maybe this is your second or third time. And you're saying, Sammy, I've never known God as Father. I need a fresh start. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that later on. Our Father. It's only the first two words. (laughs) The next part is, who is in heaven? Heaven describes a place, yes, but more than that, it's describing God and His presence. It reminds us of God's complete sovereign rule over all things. God is sovereign, majestic, and omnipotent. That just means all-powerful. Our dad, daddy, is king of kings, lord of lords. He is all-powerful, all-loving. He speaks, and the most complicated structures are formed. And yet he wants to be in relationship with you and me. Amazing. Many people think right standing with God is the end goal. But it's not. It's the means to the end goal, which is enjoying the relationship with God forever. Hebrews 21:22 puts it like this. Let us, therefore, or let us go right into the presence of God. So very simply, Jesus starts with our Father, Dad, who is in heaven. And then he goes on, verse 9, still in verse 9, hallowed be your name. So the first P was paternity, God as Father. And the second P, we're going to look at praising him. What does it mean to praise him? Hallowed be your name. Or as one three-year-old put it, our Father who does art in heaven, Harold is his name. What does this mean, hallowed be your name? Nothing to do with Harold, just to let you know. But it means really you want God to be treated with the highest honor. God, I want your name to be treated as holy. I mean, what does, what does that mean? We're very good in church, aren't we, at using Christianisms and the great. But let's break it down a little bit more. What does it mean that I want God's name to be treated as holy? What does that mean for him to get the highest honor? Honoring God, honoring anything, really just means worship. Worship. And worship, best way I can describe it, means surrender or to submit. I don't know what you think of when you hear that word surrender or submit. Um, for me, it brings back some haunting memories of uh, playing wrestling matches with my three brothers. And the way that you win a wrestling match, just for you girls that don't know how it works, <laughs> some of you probably do, 
is that you've got to pin the person down, and it's not until they say submit that you win. Isn't that right? And so often I, when I think of this word submit or surrender, it brings up these negative connotations, doesn't it? The word's always used in a negative context, submit or surrender. And in today's, I suppose, competitive culture, we're taught to never give up, never give in, if you like. So we don't hear much about surrendering. If winning is everything, then surrendering is unthinkable. But surrendering to God is the heart of worship. Okay, it's the the natural response, if you like, to God's amazing love and mercy. We give ourselves to Him, not out of fear, not out of duty, but in love. Why? Because He first loved us. Worship as well is not for our benefit. I'm sure you've heard this many a time at church. Maybe you heard this this morning. But we say things like, oh, I really enjoyed the worship today. And I did. I did. But when we're talking about worship, just to let you in on a little secret, it's nothing to do with us. See, when we worship, our goal is to bring pleasure to God. It's not about ourselves. And it's also not 20 minutes at the start of a service. Okay, that's what we think of, isn't it, when we think of worship. Rick Warren put it like this. Worship is not part of your life. It is your life. Okay? Worship doesn't just happen when we're singing songs. Worship doesn't just happen at the start of a service. Worship is more than that. Worship is your life. Surrendering or worship is best demonstrated in obedience when you say, yes, Lord, whatever he asks of you. So what does this look like practically? Okay, break this down for me, Sammy. What does that look like when I'm praying? Well, the first thing, as I said before, seeing worship as your life, not just as part of your life. Making your whole life a worship to God. Another thing as well, taking time out in your prayer life to praise God. Sometimes I find it really helpful if I'm stressed, which doesn't happen often, but or if I've got things on my mind that I need to work through, sticking the iPod in. You often see this in the Monday morning on the bus. Everybody's got their iPods on. But going out and maybe just having some worship songs in and trying to connect with God. I can sometimes do it through reading His Word, reading things like the Psalms, praises. Maybe you might find it easier playing the guitar or singing. Maybe it's writing poetry or journaling. Whatever way it is, take time out to praise God. To take time out to stop focusing on yourself, but to focus on Him. The Bible gives us a promise in, six, in Psalm 68. three says this, that you'll be full of joy. It says this, but the righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. You see, worship and surrendering to God, taking time out to praise Him, actually is the most fulfilling experience 
that I have ever had, honestly. And I would encourage you to do it regularly. So that's verse 9. Hallowed be your name. What was the first one? Paternity. Our Father who is in heaven. The second one? Praise him. Hallowed be your name. And the third one in verse 10 says this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I had to slightly change this just so it would fit in. But the next one we're going to do, we're going to look at declaring his purposes. I know it doesn't begin with P, but it kind of does, if you'll forgive me. So we've looked at paternity, looked at praising him. The third thing we're going to look at is declaring his purposes. So let's look at this first bit. Your kingdom come. There are two kingdoms in this world. Kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. Mark Driscoll puts it really well when he describes about the two kingdoms. He says it like this. There are two kingdoms that war on this earth. Darkness and light. Satan and God. Death and life. Lies and truth. Sin and holiness. Disobedience and obedience. There are two kings and two kingdoms at war. Sin and Satan and demons are at work on the earth. And this prayer is an acknowledgement that our dad is a king and he's got a kingdom. And in that kingdom, all the races are reconciled. And in that kingdom, there is peace. And in that kingdom, the oppressed get justice and the hungry get fed and the marginalized get respected and the sick get healed. And because we love our dad and because we're citizens of his kingdom, we want to see his kingdom show up here on earth. We want to see love and peace and mercy and justice and compassion given to people. And so we work and pray for the kingdom to show up here on earth. He says it much better than I do. We're talking about kingdom. We're not necessarily talking about a geographical territory. Jesus told Pontius Pilate just before he was crucified, my kingdom is not of this world. See, Peter Wagner puts it like this. By the kingdom, Jesus meant a society upon earth where God's will would be as perfectly done as it is in heaven. Because of that very fact, it would be a kingdom founded on love and not on power. See, God calls us to pray and work for the continual advance of his kingdom. We want to see God's kingdom here on earth. So we pray for it to break into earth. And when the kingdom fully comes at Christ's return, God will have completely answered our prayers. But until then, we need to pray so that God's kingdom continues to break into this world. So what, what does that look like when I'm praying? What does that look like practically? Break it down for me. Well, the first way I would encourage you is to pray for individuals. Okay, this starts individually. Maybe there's people this year in 2011, friends or family, people that you're really close to. 
that don't know God as their Father. I would encourage you this year to pray that God's kingdom would break into their lives today. That God's kingdom in 2011 would break into their life. So pray for individuals. Another way you can do this is by praying for the church. Okay? Pray for Leith and pray for Gorgie and pray that the influence of destiny as a church and the other churches in this city would bring God's kingdom here. Don't we need it? Another way you can do this as well is praying for God to heal, praying for people that are sick, bringing God's kingdom or signs of the kingdom to earth. I had some really encouraging stories just before um, I got up to speak this morning. The first one I was going to share, but I've now got three to share with you, so I'll try and remember them all. But last week, Mary uh, shared a story with Mary, give us a wave. <laughs> shared a story with us um, a few weeks ago. She'd been reading this book um, about healings. I can't remember if it was based in America or where, but as she was reading this book, she suddenly felt, do you know, this, these healings don't just happen to people in a book. This is for me. And she'd been struggling with... Um, her walking, her mobility. She'd had a sore right leg, and it unfortunately had um, allowed her to fall over a few times, okay, a given way. And so as she was reading this book, she said, God, would you just heal my right leg? Would your kingdom come on this earth? And I don't know if it happened instantaneously. She didn't tell me or whether she woke up the next morning. But God healed it just like that. And she's now not falling over, her walking is better, and it's amazing. Praise God. <laughs> Kathy shared with me this morning that um, another girl, a lady from the congregation, Jean, I don't know if Jean's here this morning, but um, her husband uh, had been diagnosed with cancer. I think it was cancer of the kidney. Um, and all, they, They'd take, done some tests, and they said, you're going to have to come in we're going to take a biopsy of your kidney and see what we're going to do. He was brought in, and um, as he was being brought in, the, the olive tree, um, which is a, a home group here, had been praying for him, praying that God would heal him. And as he went for the biopsy, I don't know if it's after they'd done the biopsy or whatever, but basically they came to him and they said, we can't find the cancer. <laughs> it's disappeared. And this was after they diagnosed it. And then Kathy shared with me about her husband, um, who doesn't come here. Um, Donny, is, is that his name? Yeah. And they'd been a bit worried because he'd had an X-ray and um, a shadow had um, basically been projected in the X-ray, which could mean lots of different things. It can be quite a worrying time. But again, as they prayed for him, um, he went in to see the doctor again, and nothing came of it. Amazing. God's kingdom coming to earth. So we want to pray that God's kingdom would come in Leith. Amen. They need it. And in Gorgie. Okay, that we would see individuals coming to know Jesus. That we would see the church influencing the culture around us. And we would see people being saved and healed. Your kingdom 
come. And the next part says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a bit of a challenge, this one. I don't know about you, but do you ever pray that? Or do you ever mean that? Most people go to God, don't they, and and tell Him what to do. I think that's what I certainly used to do. That's what pagan prayer is. That's what Jesus warned not to do. Don't be like the pagans. Don't be like the religious. Pagan prayer is about getting God to do something. Maybe if I pray five times a day, if I bob up and down, if I prostrate myself on the ground and face east, maybe God will answer me. But I want you to get this. Prayer is not primarily about making God do something. Prayer is about you and I, you and I, aligning our will with God, okay? Trusting Him to say, your will be done. You see, those that pray change. As we pray, God changes us. And people that are praying are very dangerous people because they're aligned to God's will, just like Jesus. So the third P, declare his purposes. Then it goes on in verse 11, says this, give us this day our daily ciabatta, or bread, however you say it. I don't know about you, but when I used to pray... This is how I would start. Anyone else like that? You don't need to raise your hand. It's okay. But I would come to God with a list. Okay, that that would be my prayer life. I would come to God with a list. I would say my list, and I'd feel like I'd prayed, and that would be me on my way. I became a Christian when I was about 15, and I think it wasn't until about nine years later that I began to understand what it meant to pray when I stopped focusing on myself and started focusing on God, man, my prayer life was revolutionized. It's funny how Jesus gives us this pattern to pray. And the first half of it, we've not even got down to us. But God has chosen prayer to be our means of receiving from him. Philippians 4, 6 says it like this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Jesus' reference to bread not only signifies um, food, okay? It's not just about bread, but it's all of our physical needs. Sometimes we're, we make things a bit too spiritual. Prayer is all spiritual, but it's not. It's physical as well. And we can come and we can pray to God for our physical needs. Isn't that amazing? We've, we've talked about God being our Father. And then we talked about Him being in heaven. He's sovereign. He speaks and, and things just come into being. And yet God, that God of the universe, our God, cares about our physical needs. Cares that we have enough food cares that we have clothes and shelter. You see, what praying, praying for our needs, what it does is it reminds us 
that God is our ultimate source. Okay? Whenever things going well in life, we tend to think, don't we, that we're managing all ourselves. But even the hardest working of us need to remember that God is the source of everything. He gives each of us life and the very breath in our lungs. So the fourth P is provision. How does that work practically? Let me give you one thing. Be a thankful person. When you come to pray, be a thankful person. Be thankful for every single thing that God has given you. Why is it as humans we always focus, it, focus ourselves or focus on the things that God hasn't given us? What about shifting it slightly and being thankful for everything that he has given us? It'll revolutionize your prayer life. Even if you just come and you say, think, you think of a list of things um, to say thank you for, you'll be amazed at what you'll find. And verse 12, moving on, says this to the fifth P. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Okay, so the fifth P we're going to look at is pardon. Everyone say pardon. Okay, so the first one was? The second one was? The third one? Fourth one? Good. And the fifth one? Pardon. Glad you remembered them all. I don't think I would have. Do you know every problem that faces us in this world is a result of sin? It's a pretty big statement. John MacArthur said it like this, if sin is our greatest problem, our greatest need is the forgiveness God provides. Sin is omission and commission. All that means is that sin is doing something wrong and not doing something I should have. And Jesus in this prayer, he he explains it as debt. It's quite difficult, isn't it, when we talk of sin? How do we understand it? But we all understand debt, right? And as we sin, Jesus says we're accruing more debt. We are in debt to God. I don't know if anyone gets a, a statement at the end of the month from their credit card. Maybe they don't like to look at it. <laughs> Or maybe you have a mortgage. Again, you've got to pay that every month. It comes through. But we can all identify with debt, can't we? And the Bible uses um, this kind of language and talks about Jesus being our ransom. He lives a life without sin. He dies in our place to pay our debt. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And he rises again on the third day to give us new life salvation, sends the Holy Spirit to indwell in our lives. Basically saying, Jesus has cancelled our entire debt. I don't know about you, but wouldn't it be nice to get a phone call from the credit card company and say, we've decided to wipe your debt for you. First John 1, 8-9 says this, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, when we make that decision, or when we make a decision to follow Christ, 
That is secure. Okay, our debt has been dealt with. But there's a practical element of needing God's forgiveness daily. Cleanse us from the sin, the contamination of sin as we live in this world. And so I'd encourage you, keep short accounts of God. Okay? Keep short accounts. And the second part of that verse says, as we have forgiven our debtors. It's a tough one. Do you know God calls us to forgive one another? Here's the thing. Sometimes we mix forgiveness up a little bit. So let me just try and unpack what forgiveness is. You see, when we forgive someone that sins against us, we're not denying that they've sinned against us, okay? We're not accepting the sin that they've done towards us. We're not overlooking it. We're not diminishing it in any way. We're not saying, oh, I understand, that's okay. But by forgiving someone, we're saying, I wish God's best for you. I give up my right to seek vengeance and justice. God will get it. And in that, it doesn't take away from the fact that if someone commits a crime against you, they've still got to go to jail. And it it doesn't even mean in that that there's reconciliation. You see, reconciliation takes two people, both parties. Forgiveness only needs one. And so you might have someone that maybe doesn't speak to you. There's no reconciliation there. They don't want to speak to you. Maybe you can't reconcile that relationship, but you can still choose to forgive them. Why? Why do we need to forgive? Why is this so important? Well, God says, God did forgive us. God forgave us. You see, by forgiving people, we demonstrate the gospel. People see the gospel in us. And secondly, it stops us from getting bitter. So how does that work? How does that work as I'm praying? Well, make sure you're not the obstacle when you're praying. Ask for forgiveness. Forgive one another. Another way of doing this is getting part of a home group, um, getting connected, um, and taking communion regularly. In home groups, most weeks or often every other week, we'll take communion just like we've done today. And this is another way just to focus on what God's done for us and to make sure that we're right with other people. And then finally, in verse 13, it says this, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay? Sixth and final P we're going to look at is protection. So the first one? Good. The second one? Praise Him. The third one? Declare His purposes. The fourth one? Provision. The fifth one? What was the fifth one? Pardon. And finally? Protection. Do you know not all things are good? Not all people are good. There is evil in this world. We talked earlier about how there's two kingdoms. Sometimes if you're naive or you're gullible, gullible, you can be led into sin. How does Jesus pray, or how does he point us to pray, lead us not into temptation? 
Okay? Does, does God lead us into temptation? Well, the Bible says, no. <laughs> James 1, 13 to 14 puts it like this. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So why did Jesus give this expression as a pattern for prayer? Well, you see, too many people pray, or certainly this is the way I used to pray, after you've blown it, okay? After you've, you've done what you said you never would, or after you've done what you said, I'm not going to do that again. Too many people pray after they've blown it. Try and pray before you blow it. Okay, and in this prayer, Jesus is encouraging us to say, God, keep me close to you. I don't want to dishonor you. God, sometimes I'm an idiot. Sometimes I'm silly. Sometimes I get tempted. It's praying offensively rather than defensively. Okay? All good footballers know that the best form of attack is defense. Sorry, the best form of defense, let's get it the right way around, is attack. Preempt attack. Be prepared. 1 Peter 5.8 says it like this. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Be prepared. How does this work as I'm praying? What's the, how do I practically do this? Well, I'd, I'd just encourage you to ask, where are your weaknesses? Where's your habitual sin, if you like? Where is it that you know that you're vulnerable? Pray into that area. Preempt attack. So in concluding, paternity, God is our Father, our Father in heaven who wants to have a relationship with us. Hallowed be his name. Take time out to praise him. Make your life worship him. Make it your life goal to worship him, not just in part, but fully. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Declare his purposes. Pray. Encourage you to pray for individuals. Pray for the church. Pray for people that are sick. Provision. Give us today our daily bread. God encourages us to come with our need, not our greed, and encourages us to be thankful and thank him. And forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgive one another just as God has forgiven us. And finally, protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Preempt attack. Where are your weaknesses? Where are you vulnerable? Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are 
Father. God, I thank you that you are a loving Father. God, I know that some people today, that's really difficult for them to understand. That's really difficult for them to get a hold of. But God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. God, we give you praise this morning because you are holy. God, we want to honor you. We want to surrender our life to you, even though, God, every day that is really difficult because we want to do it our way. God, we want to see your kingdom come in Leith. God, we want to see this church grow with wonderful people that don't know you. God, so that they can come and get to know you and to know what it's like to have a living relationship with you. God, we pray your will be done on this earth. And God, we know we've got things in our lives that, God, we need you to provide for us. And God, we pray you would do that supernaturally or just naturally. God, forgive us for when we turn our backs on you. Help us to forgive one another. And God, protect us from ourselves. God, help us preempt attack. Just as everyone's continuing to pray, it's important just to stop and just to take a couple of minutes to give an opportunity. Maybe you're here um, this morning. Maybe you've been coming for a few weeks. Maybe you've never made that decision to follow Jesus. Well, I want to do, I want to give you an opportunity this morning just to do that. It's the best decision that you could ever make. If you're here this morning and you're saying, Sammy, I need a fresh start. I need a fresh start. Then I want to pray for you this morning. So I'm just going to pray. And if that's you today, I just want you to pray it under your breath. It doesn't need to be prayed out loud. Just this is a prayer between you and God. And all it is, it's a commitment saying, God, I recognize my sin. I recognize I need a savior. God, I believe that you came into this world for me. You died on my behalf, even though I deserved it. And I want to put my faith and trust in you. That's you today. Just pray quietly under your breath. God, thank you that you have revealed yourself as Father. God, thank you that you love me. Even when I turn my back on you, you still love me. 
And God, I thank you that you chose to make a way by sending your son. God, I deserve death, but he died on my behalf, taking my sin on my behalf. And God, he rose again. I believe that. And he's alive today. And God, I want to turn away from my old life, my past, my sin. And I want to put him first in my life this morning. Just keep praying for a moment. If there's anyone there here this morning that maybe you've prayed that prayer this morning, I just want to pray for you. I think it's really important just to pray with you. Um, so I'm going to ask you to do a very brave thing. If that's you this morning, you prayed that prayer, I just want you to slip your hand up in the air. And I'd love to pray for you. I'm not going to pull you out of the front. Thank you. Anyone else like that this morning? God, we just pray for this dear lady. We pray, God, that you would reveal yourself as loving Father. God, remind her that the decision she's made today, God, that's eternal. The deal's been done. You accept her as your child. And God, that she would put her full trust in you. She would live for you day by day. In Jesus' name. Amen.